for joining us for uh, our virtual panel session brought to you by Can Do Multiple Sclerosis. Uh, as our part of our mission to help families living with MS thrive, uh, we wanted to bring together this panel of experts uh, to discuss coronavirus. Uh, it's everywhere in the news, and we all have questions about how to best live with the threat of this disease and, and quarantining and how to, to manage our day-to-day -day lives. So we're thrilled to have uh, an esteemed panel. I'm going to let them introduce themselves, starting with uh, Roz Kalb, who is a clinical psychologist. Hello, Roz. Thanks, Brian, and hello to my favorite colleagues. Uh, I am Roz Kalb. I'm a clinical psychologist, and uh, I'm a consultant for Can Do Multiple Sclerosis and for the National MS Society. Great, and we also have joining us Mandy Roerig, who's a physical therapist. Hello, Mandy. Hi, everyone. Thank you, Brian. My name is Mandy Rorig, and I am a physical therapist and a Can Do MS programs consultant. I am with all of you today from Omaha, Nebraska. Great, thank you. And we have Mona Bostic, who is a registered dietitian. Hi, Mona. Hi. Um, yes, I am Mona Bostic. I am a registered dietitian. I live in Greensboro, North Carolina, where I have a private practice. And I also uh, am a programs consultant for Can Do Multiple Sclerosis. All right, thank you. And finally, we have Kathy Costello, who is a nurse practitioner. Hi, Kathy. Hi, Brian. Hi, everyone. Thanks very much. Yes, I'm Kathy Costello. I'm a nurse practitioner and also the Associate Vice President for Healthcare Access for the National MS Society. All right. Well, thank you all for joining us, and we hope this will be a good um, uh, discussion between all these different professionals um, to really get a broad view of, of what's going on and what we can do uh, to help uh, manage our lives here. So uh, my first question is for you, Kathy. Um, we've received a lot of questions from people who are concerned that their MS has made them immunocompromised and therefore more at risk uh, for coronavirus. Uh, can you tell us what immunocompromised means for someone with MS and how this might relate to COVID-19? Sure, thanks very much. And this is really an important question and one that all of us are receiving frequently. And there's a lot of fear out there around this because people with MS have heard that the problem with their multiple sclerosis is really a problem with their immune system. And so the general thinking is that that must mean that my immune system is compromised in some way. And their immune system may be different and it is behaving differently and causing them to have multiple sclerosis. But in terms of infection, having a, a diagnosis of multiple sclerosis does not increase someone's risk for developing COVID-19. Immunocompromise may occur because of other reasons. For instance, some of the disease-modifying therapies that people take for their MS may make them possibly more likely to develop any infection and COVID-19 would be uh, uh, included with that. Having said that, there are not firm recommendations that people should stop their disease-modifying therapies or alter the dosing of their disease-modifying therapies because there are multiple factors involved in this aside from COVID-19 where there may be a possible or theoretical risk that someone may be more likely to develop COVID-19 that is not confirmed and there are not data at this time to suggest that. Each decision regarding disease-modifying therapies needs to be made with that individual and his or her MS provider to discuss all of the factors that may be involved. 
For example, someone's age, uh, how long they have had MS, how active their MS might be, are some of the factors that need to be part of that conversation. So immunocompromise is a big loaded word. What we're more, most concerned about is someone who is actually immunosuppressed, meaning they don't have an immune system that can fight infection. That is not the case in multiple sclerosis. Thank you, Kathy, for, for explaining that, because I know there's a lot of, a lot of myths and, and, and concerns out there. Um, and speaking of immunities, I wanted to ask, bring in Mona. Um, uh, speaking of immunity, we've received a lot of questions about uh, foods or supplements that maybe people can take that can help strengthen their immunity. Uh, can you speak a little bit about that and uh, maybe some of the myths around that that we should watch out for right now? Sure. Um, and you're right. There is a lot of misinformation out there going around. It's important to remember, Kathy said, uh, speak to your MS provider for, for, to get your information. It's important to know that Dr. Google is not on your MS healthcare team. Um, there's a lot of information going on around food and supplements to, quote, boost your immune system. But it's important to know that your immune system is a very complex system. And while nutrients do play a role in it, there's no one nutrient in isolation that's going to have an impact. So for that reason, um, it's really important to make sure your diet is balanced and varied so that you bring as many nutrients to the table as you can to help support a healthy immune system. Um, and just regarding supplements, there's no evidence because the COVID-19 virus is a novel, meaning it's a new virus. We're still trying to figure it out. So if Dr. Google is suggesting that a supplement or an eating pattern is gonna have an impact, he or she is not basing that on any scientific evidence. Um, and regarding supplements, there's just two specific ones I want to mention. Zinc, a lot of people are suggesting that you uh, supplement with zinc, zinc lozenges and things. But it's really important to know that many of these things are dosed in an amount that far exceeds the recommended daily allowance. And by taking these zinc supplements, you can mask or contribute to other deficiencies like iron specifically. Um, and that would not contribute to a overall health. Same thing with vitamin C. Uh, vitamin C, taking these things in mega doses can contribute to uh, symptoms like upset stomach and just general not contribute to good health, but all of these uh, nutrients are available in foods. And that is the way our body prefers to get nutrients because they're packaged in a way that our body can use them uh, ideally. So I would encourage um, the getting of these nutrients from your food sources. Uh, so can I ask a follow-up question? Uh, of Mona and, and then maybe of, of Kathy in, in follow-up. So people are always thinking um, that they need to boost their immune system or make it stronger. And I just, uh, from what you both have said, I think we want to be careful that people uh, remember that their immune systems are not compromised. In fact, there's a lot of evidence that they are in fact over active and that's contributing to getting MS. So Mona, uh, what should people think about when they see advertisements uh, for supplements or anything that will boost their immune system? 
Um, aside from what I said initially, that there's no evidence to support that any nutrient in isolation will actually do that. Um, it's really important for folks like us with MS that we get our antioxidants and our other nutrients in the doses that they occur naturally in food. Unless you are trying to correct a deficiency that your physician or healthcare team has identified, um, like for example, vitamin D. Uh, vitamin D plays a role in our health and we wanna maintain a, a healthy level that is monitored by our physicians, but taking more of anything is not gonna be helpful generally. And it can in fact cause symptoms, side effects, interactions that are gonna not contribute to overall health and well-being. Great, Mandy, I would love to get your perspective uh, as a PT. Um, it, can exercise help uh, strengthen immunity? Um, anything from your perspective that people should think about uh, as they're thinking about coronavirus? And especially from home, uh, if there are people that are used to exercising at gyms or health clubs, uh, what can they do at home um, to, to better their, themselves during, during the situation? Thanks, Brian. Let me first start with how exercise and the immune system. We know that too little exercise is not good for our overall health, but we also know that too much exercise is not good for our overall health either. So it's kind of finding that sweet spot of what's best for someone's body. So in the context of our current, current environment, it's probably not a wise idea to try to up your exercise significantly at this point in time in attempt to try to boost your immune system, if you will. And to, to dovetail what Mona and, and Kathy had commented on earlier, we and Roz also, that we don't want to um, make an immune system overly, overly aggressive that's already acting a little bit overstimulated in the first place. So finding that optimal amount of exercise is, is what we want to, what we would encourage for people. And right now, the research suggests that 150 minutes of moderate intensity exercise and physical activity is what, the, what we advise and what we encourage. And I think it's important to note that exercise doesn't just have to be what you do at the gym. Exercise and physical activity, more specifically, is everything we do over the course of the day. So exercise that you were prescribed by a physical therapist or perhaps a personal trainer maybe focuses on specific outcomes, specific health or fitness outcomes, maybe becoming stronger or becoming more flexible. Whereas physical activity, like I mentioned, is all of the movement that we do during the day. And that counts too. That counts to that 150 minutes. So this can be folding clothes. This can be chasing after your kids, picking up toys, playing hide and seek with the kids. It can be cleaning your house. It can be all of that movement is still important and valuable. Now that aside, um, we, all, we all understand that exercise can really have a profound impact on how we feel over the course of the day, how um, folks living with MS, how it makes them move better and feel differently. So I think it's important to note, we want people to keep exercising even when they don't have access to those resources that you may have at a gym. So there are some online resources out there for, for still community-based exercise classes. I'll name just a few. msworkouts.com is one, msforward.org. Those are some online 
uh, video instruction, exercise resources. There are certainly more available and we can post those on the CanDoMS website in the future so that you all can access that. Those are free. That aside, there are also exercise resources that you can um, use that are online that often have a fee associated with them. But there are many exercise options out there. But again, don't forget that all of the movement that you do over the course of the day counts. So I have yes, one follow-up question for Mandy, and that is, uh, we know that it's 150 minutes, but is that a day, a week, a month, a year? How often do people need to get that 150 minutes in? Well, let's hope, let's hope it's not every day, because that would be a lot of movement, right? <laughs> 150 minutes per week. Thanks, Roz, for That's highlighting great. that important. And feature. also, everybody, don't forget that things like just taking two cans of soup in your hands Mm -hmm. And doing arm circles or raising them around actually gets your heart rate up. So uh, mm -hmm. before you start cooking that canned soup, um, just <laughs> wave it around. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Do a few oh, arm rings. Or turn on the music while you're cooking the soup and have a dance party. There you go. There you go. Great ideas. And so, Roz, uh, our homes are becoming uh, gyms, they're becoming offices, and families are spending a lot more time together under tight quarters. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how that might uh, impact family dynamics and maybe some tips for, for folks that are now spending a lot of time um, that they're not used to spending together? Yeah, and it's too bad that my husband can't be sitting here next to me contributing to this answer because he could probably tell you all the things that I'm doing that are making him crazy, and then I could tell you all the things that he's doing that's making me crazy. Um, but I, I think it's really important, uh, no matter how much space you have that you're living in, to, to be aware that you're trying to adjust to a very different situation in your life than you've been used to day to day. All family members need to be able to share and express the feelings that they have and the concerns that they have about what's going on, because we need that. We need to comfort each other and reassure each other and be comfortable together. But we also need distractions from all those feelings and fears. Um, so. I would suggest, whether you're in a big space or a small space, that you think about uh, group distractions from the things that worry you, whether it's games, sing-alongs, dancing to that music that Mona was talking about while you're cooking, uh, putting together a puzzle, uh, writing a story. You can have one family member who starts a story and then the next person does does the next little bit and then the next person. So you come up with a nonsense story that makes you all laugh. You need those kinds of together activities that are soothing and fun. But each person also needs to have individual soothing activities because what's going to be beneficial for each person is different, right? Some of us need to put on earphones and, and listen to loud music. Others of us need to go and do some exercise in a corner, and others might need to read or meditate or pray. So again, it's finding group activities that bring you together and solitary activities that allow you to have a peaceful space. Um, 
we also need to be aware, and this is true whether we have MS or we don't have MS, it's true whether there's a COVID-19 hovering around us or not, we all tend to take out our emotions, particularly negative emotions, on those who are in easy range and those with whom we feel safest. So everybody on this call or this webinar has had the experience of taking out one's temper uh, on a spouse or a kid when it really had nothing to do with that spouse or that child, but they're there and we feel safe doing that. That's going to happen more in this kind of very close, tense environment in anxious situations. It is important. In fact, it's essential to apologize when that happens, to acknowledge that it's happened, and as best as possible to bring some humor to bear so that you can get past that really tense moment. And um, humor is going to help a lot. It's going to lighten a really scary situation. Um, so together time, separate time, openness about your feelings, and lots of apologies. Can, can I it, add one thing? Seems, oh, Mandy, go ahead. With something that we have found successful in our house with uh, three children was we all need our timeouts once in a while. And we've been putting ourselves in timeouts. So it's not uncommon if that a mommy will say, hey, kids, I need a little timeout for a bit. And now James, my oldest son, is like, mommy, I think you need a timeout for a little bit. <laughs> but just acknowledging feelings and acknowledging when people need their, their time alone. So I liked how you said that, Roz. Thanks, Mandy. Uh, and Roz, it seems like a lot of the stress that may may percolate, uh, just because of everyone in a family is different, and some people may have different tolerances uh, to the virus. Some people may have different concerns or anxieties. Uh, so, what tips would you give uh, for a family to balance those different differing levels of tolerance? It's a great question, Brian, and I think everybody is really struggling with this right now. We, um, we all have different tolerance for risk, but I think we have, to, uh, we have to look to the experts right now, and I would strongly urge you to pick a trusted resource. Stick to that resource. So, for example, in our house, um, we trust and believe in the information that Dr. Fauci, who's an epidemiological expert, um, is giving to all of us, in, including the people in the federal government. Uh, he's, he's consistent, he's helpful, he's wise. So in our house, that's kind of our information. And then we try to take that information and translate it as best we can into the daily behavior that will provide most protection. Now, you're going to see some differences generationally uh, in how people uh, uh, cope with risk. Um, I think some of us have been alive and around longer and lived through maybe a polio epidemic or flu epidemics or other things are will tend to take these more seriously. We've lived through them and seen the impact that they can have. 
And so we're more ready to listen to the recommendations to us, isolate ourselves, um, stay in the house, just hunker down. Whereas we're seeing with teenagers and even some young adults that everybody, including the federal government, is having difficulty getting them to listen to the message. Stop socializing, stop con congregating. This isn't just about you. This is about the impact of you not isolating on everybody else. So even within a family, we may see conflict over who's ready to hunker down and stay put and who's feeling like, no, they need to go out and socialize. So within each family, you're going to have to sit down, talk about it, listen to the experts, and then do the very best you can to isolate as much as possible. So I think that's one piece of this. Um, but the, the other piece of it is that uh, we need to be aware that as we try to protect each other, um, that sometimes that will lead to the kinds of conflicts I was talking about before. Uh, so when my husband talked about that this morning, uh, one example he gave was my telling him to wash his hands for the 457th time since he got up in the morning. Um, he has a tendency to bring out some tension in the household, and so he has to he has to respond. He has to understand that I'm trying to protect him and I'm trying to follow good practices, but he also has to be able to breathe. So, um, just we have to be aware of how we juggle um, our our individual tolerance for risk. Great point. Thank you, Roz. Uh, Kathy, speaking of isolation and quarantining, uh, what are you recommending right now to folks? Uh, specifically, should people keep their medical appointments if their offices are even open? Um, should they get non-emergency care uh, at the same decision point um, that they're used to, or, or is there sort of a new, new point that people should think about? Um, what are you recommending for, for staying in and risk that those risks uh, against going out. Sure, thanks so much, Brian. And, and you know, these recommendations have evolved over the last several weeks. Um, as the numbers of cases in the United States and the rest of the world have increased, these recommendations have become much more strict. And what I'm about to say is not specific to multiple sclerosis. This is specific to everyone because everyone is at risk for infection. Doesn't matter if you have MS or not. Many municipalities now are changing their recommendations to shelter in place, which essentially means stay home, stay in. Unless it is absolutely necessary for you to leave your house, stay in. That's not, that has not been made rule or law or a firm recommendation everywhere. My recommendation is that that's our best put forward. We will have an enormous healthcare crisis in this country if we can't stem the tide and slow the process of people getting this infection. There is not enough critical care beds, ventilators, we've all been hearing this. It's the truth. And so for fewer people to be infected at one time is critically important for every one of us to remain as healthy as possible. And if we do get this infection, to recover from this infection. 
So I recommend that people do their best to stay in. In terms of their appointments, many offices are postponing or canceling routine follow-up visits. Many are going to virtual visits, particularly for those routine needs, so that you can have a televideo uh, visit that where you can explain what's going on, you can hear from your provider, you can see your provider face-to-face -face and get recommendations, allay some of your anxieties, for example. It's important to know if those visits are going to be handled differently with your insurance coverage, although most right now are covering them as they would other visits as well. So look, before someone goes to an appointment, call ahead. Call ahead and make sure that that appointment is necessary. Is there another alternative? If you believe that you have been infected with coronavirus, it is also important to call. And in that case, you're calling your primary care provider. Most offices and systems now have uh, 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 processes in place and instructions in place for what you should do if you believe you've been infected. In fact, they may even send you to uh, a different group um, a, of providers who will triage and assess the symptoms that you're having and then give you recommendations on what to do. So stay home, stay in unless it's absolutely necessary uh, to go out. Uh, and what is essential? Uh, if you need to get groceries, if you need to go to the pharmacy, space these uh, uh, trips out so that you're doing them as infrequently as possible. And if it's a medical appointment, call ahead, make sure that appointment needs to happen. Can it happen virtually? And if you absolutely need to be seen, what are the instructions that you need to follow in order to make that happen? Um, Kathy, can I just ask you a follow-up question? Because sure. we used to get this all the time before there was any coronavirus issue. How does a person with MS, let's say who's at the start of a new flare-up or exacerbation, how does that person know if he or she is experiencing um, an emergency that's MS-related? Yeah, and sometimes it's very difficult to assess that on your own, and that's where that calling ahead is important. Uh, some places have an electronic medical record with a patient portal where you can ask questions electronically. Some may have even set up a hotline at this point where you can call uh, in order to ask those urgent questions. Um, while an MS exacerbation is terrible for people to experience, um, it's often not a medical life-threatening emergency. It may feel like it, and I'm not in any way trying to minimize that, but I think we have to keep this in perspective with the crisis that we're dealing with, and that the most important thing that people can do is contact their healthcare provider for instructions. Explain what's going on as best you can. In fact, I recommend writing down what you're experiencing so that when you get on that call and your anxiety level is increased, that you're able to explain succinctly what's happening so that you can get the best advice for your situation. Great, thank you. Yes, and speaking of appointments, Mandy, I wanted to ask you, um, specifically with PT, so many people rely on that routine and, and getting that care from, from a physical therapist. 
Um, with many PT offices being closed, uh, what are you recommending uh, to people to still get those benefits of, of PT uh, but not being able to come in? Sure. Yeah, it can be difficult because sometimes physical therapy not only offers that physical opportunity to move and to move differently with different equipment than perhaps you can have access to at home, but it also is that emotional um, experience as well that can give people a lot of confidence and a lot of joy. But you're right, Brian, a lot of PT offices are, are shutting down and um, not allowing people to come in for visits. So some alternatives and some options would be first and foremost, as Kathy spoke about with other healthcare providers, would be to call your PT and have a conversation with him or her and identify what exercises, what activities can be adapted or can be continued in the home safely um, and effectively. Uh, the good thing is, is we do have access to some types of resources like um, video conferencing and, and other types of platforms in addition to just telephone that we can uh, guide people through different movements and different instructions. Um, I should comment, however, Many insurances do not cover um, PT virtually, so that may be a, a cost that you would have to incur if you would want to choose to do ongoing PT sessions virtually. So again, I would start with just, just a con telephone conversation. If that can progress into a few visits uh, via a video conference platform, that would be great too. Otherwise, you can always have your, your exercises mailed to you through the postal service as well and that can be another another option i would also add you know the good thing is is you may have a lot more family members at home and there's a lot of opportunity in this type of a circumstance where you can do more physical activity together as a family or maybe somebody can help you with some exercises at home that maybe they weren't able to do prior to this situation so Think outside of the box and use that PT to help you find those uh, most optimal solutions. Great. Oh, I just wanted to also uh, mention that I know in my state, Blue Cross Blue Shield is now extending coverage to dietitians for telehealth. And so uh, in the state where you're in, should you need to speak or want to speak with a dietitian and you have insurance coverage benefits that include nutrition, you know, working with a dietitian that may be covered under your insurance now as a result of this uh, virus. So just check with your, check with your dietitian or your, uh, your insurance provider. And that could be changing thanks, thanks. by state, right. yeah, as this continues. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Mona. That's great. Mona, I actually had a question for you. Uh, Kathy mentioned uh, to stay in as, as much as possible, but one place where most of us still have to go to is the grocery store, and that can create a lot of anxiety right now. Um, do you recommend any extra precautions with uh, going to the grocery store and shopping and also uh, preparing foods like produce uh, in a way that maybe we, we weren't doing before? Um, yes, Brian, that is an important question, and I appreciate that. Uh, I think I've, I think I'm going to just start with the process of going to the grocery store when I talk about this. So, if you're an elderly person or you're at uh, a higher risk, many stores I know in my area are uh, designating certain hours to be for those kinds of shoppers to eliminate to make the crowds uh, less dense. So, shopping at those times would be ideal. 
There's also shopping online and having, so all you do is pick them up. Uh, so those are things that I would encourage you to take advantage of. If you are going into the store though, there's still the grocery cart. Most stores have the sanitizer that you can wipe off the, the handle of the cart. I would encourage you to do that. Um, I would encourage anybody who finds at the grocery store that salad bars are still stocked and the reach-in cookie bins are still stocked. I would avoid those for now. Uh, sneeze guards are not really going to be the ultimate protector of this at this time. In my, in my town, I went to many stores yesterday and everybody has pretty much stopped stocking those things. So, but in case you happen upon a salad bar, I would keep walking at this point. Um, <clears throat> and then when you're in the produce aisle, it's important to know that um, when we're looking at oranges and things, we're picking this one up and we're putting it back. So it's entirely likely that more people have been touching the produce than you may imagine. So it's important to um, you know, put them in a bag, a, a plastic produce bag, and, and uh, when you get home, definitely wash your produce. This is something that I would always encourage, washing your produce. Uh, hard things like oranges, apples, cantaloupes, you wanna definitely wash the outside of those things. And then when it comes to lettuce, like greens and uh, things of that sort, wash it the way you normally would. And I've had a number of questions regarding what if I, um, took some salad from the salad bar or some produce that was touched by somebody who, you know, if you wash it the way you normally do and then you consume it and it goes through your, your digestive system, that is not going, that is not how this virus is transferred. So the pH in your, your digestive system is likely going to kill whatever's in there. But if you were to say inhale your salad, which I wouldn't encourage anybody to do, that may be a different story because that is the respiratory way that this is transmitted. So no inhaling the salad via the nose. Um, <laughs> but don't do that. Um, but um, going back to HOMAC, if anybody remembers HOMAC, when you have your boxes, your cereal boxes and your cans of soup, there's no need to wash the outsides of the boxes necessarily. If you wanna do that, it's not an overprotective thing. If it makes you feel better, that's fine. But it has always been the case, if you have a can of tomato soup, to wipe the lid clean before you put the can opener, because it's kind of like if you have a dirty cantaloupe. Imagine that, you have a dirty cantaloupe and you cut through it, whatever's on the outside has just been put on the inside. So if you have dirt or something on the outside of your canned food and you put the can opener in and you open it, it's like putting whatever's on the lid inside the, the can. So that has always been a, a best practice, but it is a, now is a really good time to remind us to do that. So wash the outside of your cans. And some people find it a really good practice to just go ahead and do that when you get home from the grocery store. So if you've made, if you've been to the grocery store and you've, you're now coming home, I've had the question of whether I should use paper bags, plastic bags, bags from home. If you uh, are somebody who I do, I have dogs. And so I use my grocery, my plastic bags for poop scooping. Um, I would encourage you, if you're using plastic grocery bags, just go ahead and throw them out at this time. Keeping them may not be a good idea. Paper may be a good idea. But if you use um, your own bags, just make sure to wash them after using them so that when you go to the store next time, you're using clean bags. And then finally, when you get home from the grocery store, don't put the bags on the counter because the bags that have been in the cart and then in the trunk of your car and perhaps on the floor 
putting them on the counter is not a good idea. So unload everything from the floor to the counter, wash, wipe, put them away. Um, and yes, I think that just about covers it. But basically, eat a, eat a balanced um, diet full of foods that can be had from the ref, uh, refrigerated section, freezer section, canned food section, everywhere in the store. Just, just be safe. Uh, so I would like to add one thing to that, um, mm -hmm. and, and tell me if, if you disagree, Mona. But I think one of the things we're being warned about all the time is that we humans touch our faces much more often than we think we do. Yes. Um, so one of the things I think has been helpful for me is wearing plastic gloves doesn't protect you, but it does remind you not to touch your face. So if you go to the grocery store and you're touching things, you're reaching things off the shelf and you put them in your cart, mm -hmm and you have gloves on your hand, it just helps to signal you not to touch your face so that you're not taking the germs from the shelves and getting them all over you. And the one thing that I would say to that is not, not everyone has access to those gloves at home. So if you are fortunate to have hand sanitizer with you, uh, one of the pocket or purse size when you grocery shop, Absolutely, you can do that hand sanitizer multiple times throughout the grocery shopping experience. But if you can't get gloves, it's not gonna just be, you know, I wash my hands before I go, I hand sanitize, I do the carts, I bring my things home and unload appropriately, then I wash my hands. I mean, just wash your hands. You can't say that enough. Wash your hands a lot and try not to, um, like Roz says, sometimes we touch our face more than we're aware of it. but. Um, if you're hand sanitizing and washing your hands, uh, it should, I can't imagine that it's going to be a problem that's going to interfere with the average grocery shopper. But, I mean, Kathy may disagree or have something to add to that, but. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with the hand sanitizer. Um, although hand sanitizer is hard to come by right now, um, I will say that you there's a number of DIY do-it-yourself hand sanitizer recipes, and the, the key is to make sure that they're 60% alcohol. That's the key to killing COVID. Um, and using it frequently can't be overstated, honestly. Mm -hmm. And one thing, uh, Mona, I wanted to add to what you were saying um, about uh, produce, for instance. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of produce is available already packaged. Um, meaning that it's in a container of some sort, either a plastic container or a plastic bag, uh, which certainly could be rinsed. It's not to say it's never been touched. It's probably been touched plenty. But the time element that's been involved in when it was touched to when it gets to you has been extended versus the people in the store who are touching and putting it back, touching and bringing it back. That's active. That's right now. That's uh, they coughed, they sneezed, and now they've touched. Um, so while you still need to wash your produce, I think there might be a little less risk in that produce that's already uh, prepackaged. And the prepackaged people, the people who've touched the prepackaged produce, that's a lot of peas. The people who've touched the prepackaged produce were done under a uh, controlled environment, whereas the produce section at any grocery store is not a terribly controlled environment. Great, thank you. Uh, so I have one more question, uh, and I'm going to actually open it up to the whole panel, um, and that's about isolation uh, and being alone. 
uh, indoors so much. Uh, it has so many uh, uh, trickle-down effects. Uh, so I would love to ask uh, each of you uh, just what tips you could offer to help people uh, for being alone and isolated for so long uh, during this time. So I'm going to uh, start with Roz um, and her perspective as a psychologist. Well, thanks, Brian. And I think in some ways this is the toughest question of all. Um, I was never quite so aware of how social a being I am till all of this happened. And um, I've discovered that I need people, I need contact, I need conversation. Um, and in the absence of that, our anxiety grows, right? So this is really a dual question. When we feel isolated and nobody to comfort us or soothe us or keep us company, that's when we our worries tend to multiply and, and, and get bigger. So uh, first things first, please don't binge on the news. Um, there are some people who are just absolutely addicted to turning it on in the morning and watching it till they go to bed at night. I don't think that's helpful for any of us at this point. It's very repetitive generally. Um, and so I think what you want to do again is pick one source that you trust, whatever that one source is that you're comfortable with, and you check in once a day, maybe twice a day, and the rest of the time you binge on something much more fun, binge on old movies, binge on TV series you haven't had a chance to watch, binge on music you never get a chance to sit and listen to, um, or engage in any other activity that soothes you. For some people, it's painting or music or meditation or yoga or trying something you've never tried before. I recently started learning to paint on my own because I'd never tried it before and now I have time. These things uh, can be very, very, very soothing, whether you're alone or whether you're with others. In terms of isolation, I think uh, we need to find as many different ways to connect with important people as we possibly can. Um, we've discovered in our house that we we are now in some ways maintaining more contact than ever before with people we haven't had a chance to be with. So we've set up a virtual um, uh, cocktail hour before dinner. Right, so we get online and we sit with friends across the country um, many nights of the week and just visit with them. And you don't have to have a glass of wine if you don't want to, but it's a time to gather and be social. And if there are some uh, online platforms where you can actually do it with several people at once. So I would explore all of your options for staying connected. Um, email is wonderful. Now it doesn't just have to be for work. Now you can email news. You can check in on people you love. Um, if you're not sure how to use all this technology, ask your kids because they're home <laughs> bothering you. So you might as well engage them uh, to teach you how to do these things and make the most use of whatever tools you have. I'm learning from my eight and 10 year old grandchildren that my iPhone has capacities that I didn't know it had. Right? <laughs> so as we spend time together uh, during the day, they're, they're putting masks over their faces and making me laugh, but it's all from the phone. 
right? Suddenly my, my granddaughter is turning from a panda into a squirrel, to a rabbit, to a, a ghost. Um, so have the kids teach you and connect that way in as many ways as you can. That's great. Thank you, Roz. Uh, Mona, what would you recommend for, for people dealing with isolation from, from your perspective? Uh, a couple of things. I want to start with making sure if you live somewhere where you can safely check on your neighbors, that's really important because there are a lot of folks, I know in my neighborhood we utilize the next door. I don't know if that's available everywhere, but uh, it's a way to kind of keep in touch with folks in the neighborhood who might not be able to get out to the grocery store um, in a safe way. So making sure that you check in on people, that's important. But also it's important because I know as a nutrition professional that food can sometimes be used as a coping tool for anxieties. Um, and I just wanted to address that real briefly. First of all, it's not, it's important to recognize that it works, um, which is why you need to like honor that and recognize that and not beat yourself up for it. But it may come a point where you wanna, um, start listing the pros. You know, if I'm turning to food for comfort, um, what are the pros? What benefits is this providing me? But it's also important to maybe consider the cons. What are the potential negative impacts of doing, you know, engaging and comforting myself with food? Um, what are the potential negative impacts on my health? Um, and it's at that point, because it's the frequency that it's going to become a problem. If you're, um, Coping, if food is because if you're turning to food to soothe your anxiety or your loneliness or your boredom or your anger or your fear uh, all the time, uh, then that's going to at some point have a negative impact on your health. So it might be really important to remember that although it is a good tool, it's, it's there for a reason, it does serve us, but it's important to make sure you put other tools in the toolbox. So, um, like Roz said, FaceTime, uh, reach out to family and friends, engage in hobbies that you haven't had time to do, um, watch a movie. I love um, audible books on tape, so take a walk and listen to a book on tape. Uh, reach out to your mental health practitioner, or if alone time is what you need because your family is so close now, you know, go somewhere quiet and, and, and read a book. Um, these are things you can do if you respond if you're responding to your feelings of anxiety and fear as opposed to hunger so um, Just it's really important to recognize that feelings you need to honor your feelings and sit with your feelings But learn to try to put other tools in the toolbox to help you respond to them And in line with that uh, I did suggest that you could have a, a, a virtual glass of wine with friends and friends and neighbors, uh, but to Mona's point, just make sure your your cocktail hour doesn't go on too long. <laughs> just You just have a brief Fine line. You enjoy it, and then you go cook your healthy dinner that, right. that Mona's advised you about. Yes. You wipe down. Right. <laughs> uh, Mandy, how about you? What tips would you offer to people that are um, that are isolated right now? Well, it may come as no surprise, but, but my advice would be to try to cope with that feeling of isolation with, with movement, with exercise, with physical activity. So maybe um, you went for a walk with your friend three times a week. Maybe rather than being able to walk with that friend, maybe you talk on the phone while you're walking with them. And if that's not safe, because maybe balance is an issue or, or, or dual tasking like that is an issue, then maybe you call that friend for a pre-walk 
pep talk before you go and, and he or she goes. Um, another option would be, again, you can make time with your family and with your kids physically active. So maybe you do a scavenger hunt around your yard so you guys get the opportunity to get outside and get a little bit of movement. Um, you know, you can also schedule your, your movement and your exercise with a friend to avoid isolation. Maybe rather than working nonstop all day from home, you schedule some stretching opportunities with a friend that you do via a, a virtual platform. So I think, again, it's um, figuring out different ways to connect with people through movement um, using technology and using that, that safe distance that, that the CDC and others are recommending. So, so Kathy and Mandy, this is a question for both of you. So in Italy, where they have a very, very serious problem right now, they have basically outlawed walking outside or walking your dog outside. So could you talk about what, can people not take a walk with somebody else as if they maintain that six feet of distance between them as they walk? What do you, what do you, Kathy, what do you think is the right answer yeah. to that? So uh, this kind of goes back to what I was mentioning earlier, that in some municipalities, it is stay in, period. It is stay in unless you have some extremely important reason to be outside. Um, and so that's pretty severe, right? Um, but that's often what it will take. It's not everywhere, but it will likely be more and more places. I was actually writing a little few notes uh, since my, my time to provide some tips was coming up. And I was thinking that, you know, not all of us have much space in our houses. I certainly don't. Um, I did exercises last night where I was doing lunges and I was going around my sofa because there wasn't a lot of space. Uh, but it was, it was kind of fun to do it because my daughter was also doing that in her home in Tacoma Park, Maryland. Um, and so we were together um, to some extent, and but we were inside. Um, and so I think we have to attend to what the rules are, what the recommendations are in our area and consider that. Um, but I think that there are ways that we can uh, create something that wasn't even there before that can be kind of fun. And there's always that opportunity for the dance party again, right? Absolutely. Dance with your friends right after that cocktail hour, right? Any <laughs> And then you can right. virtually cook dinner together. Everybody share recipes and get in the kitchen, FaceTime while you're cooking dinner. So, yeah. Uh, Kathy, do you have any other uh, tips or, or thoughts about, about isolation or, or any other tips you want to provide people? Yeah, so some of these will, will sound familiar, but I think some repetition is not such a bad thing. Um, I would say stay informed. Uh, know what's going on in your community, um, know what recommendations have been made. Um, I do not, I agree with Roz that you should not spend your days on MSNBC and CNN and Fox News because they are news shows and keep that in mind um, that they are very, very repetitive of the same information and it can make your anxiety level, whatever level that is, it will make it go up. There's no doubt about it. Uh, but using those credible sources, the CDC is a very credible source. Um, our nonprofits uh, can do MS, the National MS Society, the Consortium of MS Centers, 
uh, Multiple Sclerosis um, uh, International Federation, MSAA, MSIF, all of these organizations are putting credible information on their websites. I would recommend checking there. In fact, it's also going to have information about MS and COVID-19, which is important and um, interest of interest to people living with MS. If you have questions about your MS, you're experiencing new symptoms, you're having a return of old symptoms, you're worried about what to do around your disease-modifying therapy, ask. You need to ask your provider. You need to either ask through that electronic medical record patient portal over the phone. If you're having trouble reaching your provider for some reason, they closed down a practice, which would be unusual, but in the realm of possibilities, contact the National MS Society MS Navigator for assistance with what you need to do in that case. We're in a new normal, right? And it's a, a normal that's trying to establish itself. It's still changing pretty rapidly, but we all function well when we have a routine. And our routines have been completely blown out of the water right now. And we're trying to establish a new routine that has to include our activity level, our diet, our interaction with others, uh, and we're worried. We had a, a woman with MS ask us if she could physically comfort her child for fear of somehow contracting some condition. You know, we require as human beings connections with others and we need to connect and we need to touch each other. Now there's gonna be times when someone is suffering from a COVID-19 infection where that's not going to be possible. But when people don't have that infection and you're living in the household and you're under these strict conditions, you need to touch each other and comfort each other because this is terrible. This is a terrible time for us and we're all wondering what's going to happen next, not even tomorrow, but what goodness, what are we going to hear in the next hour? So being a comfort to one another is really critical for all of us to keep our sanity um, and to keep our humanness. Uh, we need to contact people we haven't contacted in a long time. Here's your opportunity. You know, you've put it off, you've put it off, you've been busy, contact that person um, and have a conversation, whether it's by phone or Skype or FaceTime. But I think it's important for people to really be able to connect. Get your rest. It's important to have a good night's rest to be resilient. We all need to marshal our resilience in this really uncertain time. And when we're tired, we just can't, we just don't have the wherewithal to do it. If you're having trouble sleeping, that's important to note and probably contact your primary care provider to, to talk about what kinds of strategies might be able to help you with your sleep. Check out those uh, sites that I mentioned that are, um, that are providing good information. There are a number of webinars that each of those organizations are providing that give you up-to-date information as well as an opportunity to ask questions. Um, and finally, uh, be kind and be thankful. It's hard right now to be thankful, but if every day we can think about, really, with our loved ones, what can we be thankful for? What are we thankful for today? It really goes a long way to helping us maintain a calm and a peace through this most uncertain and anxiety provoking time. And you know, one other thought, all of you who are listening, who have been living with MS for a while, you guys are masters 
dealing with unpredictability. You are masters at being creative problem solvers. You've had a lot of history with this. Use the skills that you've used to deal with your MS in the past. Bring those strengths to bear, but that also helps increase your resilience. You know a lot about how to handle crises and how to step up when things are, are, are changing or, or difficult. Uh, work with each other as partners in your families. Problem solve the way you've been doing for a very long time. Um, all of us are learning a lot from you as well about how to manage uh, difficult challenges in our lives and unpredictability. So thank you all of you uh, for teaching us along the way. And if you need a reminder, look yourself in the mirror and say, you know what, I'm good at this. I'm good at this. And remind yourself that darn it, you are good at this. And not only are you good at it for yourself, but you're likely to be able to help those that are in your own home and those that you're connecting with. Well, I appreciate everyone's time and their thoughts. Uh, I'm thankful to have such a great team and to have uh, the technology to bring uh, everyone together virtually. Uh, we hope you found this useful and you gained some strategies and resources. Uh, for more information, as Kathy mentioned, please visit the CanDo MS website at canDo-ms.org and the National MS Society, which is nationalmssociety.org. Um, and we're going to continue to put uh, strategies and content on there uh, to help us all get through this time. So uh, thank you all for joining us, and we hope that you stay healthy and safe, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care now.